The Nine Foot Night Killer Collective. Forged, not made. Welcome to Forged, Not Made. Uh, an incredible opportunity that was presented to me probably uh, almost over a year ago, but not quite. Um, but Thank you, Kelly, for coming on and giving us the opportunity to talk to you. That's all right. It's great. Um, Kelly, will you take us all the way back to the beginning? Um, where did you come from? Where did you grow up? What's the family uh, look like where, where you started out in life? Okay, so um, quite, a, quite a random upbringing, actually. So my mum's Scottish, my dad's English, um, and my dad used to work in the oil business. So I was actually born in Singapore. Um, because we were, they were working, uh, they were based in Singapore for a rig. And then I ended up um, having quite a almost military style childhood with a lot of traveling, a lot of changing of schools and things like that. So um, lived in Fiji, Japan, China, New Zealand, Australia. Um, and then after a bit of middle school in New Zealand and, and uh, Singapore came back to the UK because the company that my dad worked for went under. So they had a house in Norwich, in Norfolk. Um, came back to the UK and then they wanted my education for high school to be a little bit more consistent. So then my mum and I stayed in, in Norwich and my dad um, went out to places like Nigeria and Uganda to work six weeks on, six weeks off. So um, although I am British, my early childhood was a little bit, little bit hectic. Um, and then I, for Loughborough University, for my, for my undergrad degree, I moved to the Midlands and that's where I essentially stayed. Um, and and so yeah, just based in in Nottingham in the Midlands now. My parents are still in Norwich. Yeah, I am indeed. Are you an yeah, only one child? One of me is enough. My parents were like, "That'll do." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One's one's enough. Um, obviously, you're travelling around there, and obviously, a lot of military. I guess you you equate it to like military children moving around a lot. Um, what sort of age did you start? Uh, taking part in sports and what and what sports were you doing because obviously jumping from location to location how does that sort of manifest so when I was um when I was in Singapore I did a lot of running I remember doing quite a lot of cross country and um football and things like that and then when I got to high school um I was at a tiny little farming village school in in Norfolk and uh because I'd been all over the place I had quite a dark tan to be honest I didn't look English and uh I had a very weird accent as well so um I looked very out of place and I, I sounded very out of place in the little school that I was at so as a result of that I actually ended up getting bullied which was interesting because it kind of drove me more towards sport for my confidence um and so I started going to the gym when I was 15 my mum would drop me off in the mornings um, and then I just because I was doing that and working on my fitness and applying myself to my to my sport, um, I was doing football, running, um, hockey and just just any of it, all of it, really. I just loved it. I loved how it made me feel. I loved that in that environment. I was um, I was I turned out to be quite good. So, again, I wasn't bullied in that context. And it just it just gave me a lot of confidence, really. So. Yeah. So you said you went uh, obviously onto Loughborough um what did you what did you study when you were at Loughborough? So interestingly, when I went to Loughborough Uni, initially I um, had applied to do 
the, the course was called a physical education and sports science degree um, because I thought I wanted to be a PE teacher. I was very inspired by my PE teacher who was super supportive of, supportive of me. But then after the first year, the, the PE side I actually didn't really enjoy. So the idea of teaching children who had no motivation for sport or fitness, I realized that actually I probably wasn't going to be very good at that. Um, and so actually I then switched to straight sports science. So although although actually on my degree certificate it does say physical, physical education and sports science, it was actually straight sports science that I ended up doing with a lot of psychology modules that I'd actually chosen from out of department. So, but it's essentially like, yeah, sports science. They just chuck a free yeah. sort of PE <laughs> yeah, in there. Yeah, I don't the know why point. they left that on because it's like, like I, I don't want it. I, I, <laughs> Yeah, I turned that one down. This is it. You can I'll, give it to me if you it. want. But... Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. So the the football and things like that, team sports, were you, was that something that sort of carried through for you into university, or was it? Did you start to leave that stuff behind and enter into like the more well, individual stuff? Actually, funnily enough, when I was at high school, um, I started the girls' football team, and I loved I loved football. I loved I really loved it. I started playing with Norwich City Football Academy. Um, but also because I played hockey and I had the biggest mouth and I was captain, they then stuck me in goal because I could, I could kick a ball. Um, and then my PE teacher sent me to a, a Norfolk hockey uh, trial um, as a goalkeeper and I got in. And then essentially from there, it just, I just kept getting sent letters and going along to things and then got in. And before I knew it, I was playing for England. So then I had to not play football anymore. I had to commit fully to the hockey and I essentially stuck with hockey from under 16 uh, all the way up to uni. So the reason I went to Loughborough University is I got a, um, I mean, at the time, it was certainly it was certainly the place to go for hockey. They had a, the women's first team were in, in the Premier Division, the Premier League, which was, they were the only university team that were actually in essentially the top, top league in the country. So it was very appealing. Um, and I actually got a, spot, a scholarship to go there. So they supported me financially and also... Um, were prepared to lower my grades if I needed it, which was, I didn't, but they, they offered it, which was lovely. So um, I don't know if they still do that now, but so I actually carried on with hockey all the way through uni um, toward, until towards the end of the end of university. And then after I left the, the year after, again, because they were in a, a non-university league, I actually still kept playing hockey. But at that time I was also moving into the fitness industry and trying to create my career. And um Training, uh, being in the fitness industry involves a lot of weekends and a lot of evenings. And unfortunately, so does competing at high level for hockey, especially moving into the seniors. So I kind of was left with a choice. Um, and at that point, I was also coaching England hockey at the younger age groups under 16 and under 18. And so I made a decision that instead of getting, getting worse at, as a player, I would actually prefer to focus on my career and actually do the coaching side and still be involved with England that way. So um, at that point, because I always loved fitness and it was the doing the fitness for the hockey that I think I loved more than the hockey itself in, in reality. So stepping back from the actual hockey gave me more time to just train, just train for fitness, train for myself. Um, and I could still be involved with them. So at that point, it became more just about me enjoying my training and just running really um, for fitness sake. Nothing, nothing particular, no particular sport, just just fitness. Yeah, so you've brought it all the way through. I mean, that's incredible that you had the the, uh, the scholarship in the in the UK, and it's I'm sure they are out there, but it's not something that you hear as prevalent in this country uh, as you would obviously somewhere like in the states. It's the norm for people to get a ride um, through what they would call college or university with, with sport. So 
obviously you've gone with England, which is obviously a feat in its in itself, and that's carried on. How long did that carry on for you then as a coach um, with the team coming out the other side of university? So I um, I suppose it relates to, to my own personal age at the time and then my experience. So I started off when I was in the under-21 squad playing, I was coaching the under-16 England women. And then as I went into the seniors, I got involved with the under-18s and then the under-21s and then actually ended up coaching some of the senior um, girls and the goalkeepers and stuff. Um, and that went all the way through until I think it was until about the until the millennium, really, until the until the uh, Olympic Games. It was just before then, because I remember that because I I'd been drafted in more and more with the coaching where I'd be driving down to Bisham Abbey or Lillishall near London to do these training camps with with the squad. And that on top of the fitness work I was doing was it was a lot of hours, you know, if I had Sunday off as my only day off, I'd then be driving to London for the day, coaching all day and then driving back. And um, there was two roles with hockey that I had. One was what was called a centrally contracted coach, a CCC, which meant that you would you would go to assessment days where you would actually pick athletes that you thought would be suitable to get into England trials. So you would you would kind of go down the down the level somewhat to work and help recruit good athletes in but also the national age group coach role which was actually obviously working with the squad itself and the hours became so much I mean I could have just done that full time to be honest but I didn't want to um, and then with my own business it just was building so much that I had to make a choice again and really I felt that my love for hockey I'd done it so much and so intensely that my love for for the fitness side and helping people was was kind of where I wanted to go so it, it was just before the Olympic Games in 2000 and well, 2000, I guess it would have been. No, it wouldn't have been. Two th- two... I'm getting all confused now. The... It was before an Olympic Games anyway. Oh, was it 2012, the London one, babe? What's that? The, the, Olymp- the London Olympics. Yeah. No, it was before that. Oh. I'm losing such track of time. Um, but anyway, it was before, before an Olympics. <laughs> um, and... I remember going because I remember going to watch them at the 2000. I think it was 2012 Olympics in London. I remember getting tickets because I had been a coach, and so they gave me some free tickets. And I wasn't involved anymore. But when I went to watch them, and watch them do so well as well, it was just phenomenal. But I knew all the girls on the squad. I'd either I'd either played alongside them or coached them, and um, it was just it was just amazing to watch. But equally, I didn't I didn't feel like I. I didn't feel like, oh, it's a shame I'm not there on the coaching bench or I'm not on the pitch. I didn't feel any kind of um, regret or sadness that I wasn't still involved. You know, I'd done my time with it, but actually I wasn't committed enough to it like like those girls were. I didn't want it enough, um, but it was amazing to watch them succeed so well. Yeah, so finally uh, get comfortable being yeah. a spectator <laughs> and like... And, and looking looking back at the fruit, you're like, that's the fruit of yeah, my for work. Sure. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, for <laughs> sure. Yeah, as opposed to still Absolutely. wanting to tweak it. Um, so obviously, you, you that's a, obviously an incredible chapter in your life. And I'm sure that there's like a podcast in that in itself, um, dissecting that. But uh, what is the early days, obviously, of you starting out in the, in the fitness industry look like? Is that personal training is that working in somebody else's gym how does it start to build so when I uh, when I finished my sports science degree I um it was interesting because I kind of came out with the degree from Loughborough which would or, or should have meant a lot but actually I realized I wasn't qualified to do anything 
because at the time it was simply a sports science degree. There wasn't any add-ons. There wasn't any other courses that they told you to do alongside. So you came out and you were like, oh, I'm not even qualified to work in a gym. I can't even be insured. Um, so my granny, um, bless her, was still alive then. And she'd been saving up some money for me. And uh, she gave me that money and allowed, and that allowed me to go on a, uh, at the time, what was called a, a advanced diploma in personal training, which essentially gave me everything that I didn't have so that I needed. So gym instructor, personal trainer, massage, body massage, sports massage therapy, uh, circuit training, nutritional advice. It was, it was an all-in-one, very intensive three months. Um, but after that, I then applied for jobs and uh, applied to David Lloyd um, in Nottingham. And I also applied to uh, Holmes Place, it was called as well. They were very close to each other, location-wise, both based in Nottingham. Um, and I went along to both and I got the opportunity to, to take either job, but the, the, the manager at David Lloyd was very smiley. So I thought, I think I'll go there. So I started work at David Lloyd, uh, in West Bridgeford, which I didn't realize, but at the time it, it that's a very affluent part of Nottingham. Um, so it was a, lo- it's a lovely gym, a health club really. Um, and so I started my job there as a full-time gym instructor initially, and then, um, they were very involved at the time with the National Academy of Sports Medicine. So I ended up actually doing my level three personal training again with the National Academy of Sports Medicine. So I, I went through it in two different ways, which was great. Um, and then started being a personal trainer. So I built up my clientele. Uh, and after about six months, went kind of full time PT um, with David Lloyd and then did that for probably about two, two, three years full on. Um, it was right at the peak kind of boom of personal training when it really kicked off. And David Lloyd at the time, because of the Na- National Academy of Sports Medicine, were, were pretty much known to be like the gym. Like they were the ones with, you know, the top education, the top this, the top that. And so if if you couldn't be a successful personal trainer at that point, there was something wrong. Uh, so, I mean, I had 50, 50 60 clients a week. Um, you know, I was working ridiculous wow. hours and and, you know, loving it for that period of time, but I got a bit tired. And uh, at the time as well, there wasn't incentives like there would be set up now. So you didn't get, for example, financial benefits, or if you did more hours, it was a very low level percentage that you got paid. And so you worked hard, but you didn't, you know, it got tiring, it got tiring. So after a couple of years, um, I ended up um, being offered a lecture, lecturing role at a college nearby, which I'd been doing a little bit of, a little bit part-time, and I was gonna leave uh, to do that but then David Lloyd offered me health and fitness manager um, so I actually got offered the health and fitness management role so I ended up stepping into management and I did that role for three years uh, at David Lloyd which taught me very much that I don't ever want to be in corporate or to be a middleman again because um, I'm not very good at um, sucking up to people above me that doesn't I don't I don't do very well there I'm very good at trying to look after people and caring about the people that I'm in charge of, but I'm not very good the other end. Um, so I learned a lot from that. I enjoyed it. It was, it was, you know, great experience. I learned a lot, but it wasn't really, I didn't want to go down that corporate, corporate route really. Um, and so that's, it was at that point that I decided I needed to, I wanted to be more on the front line and actually working with people one-to-one and making the difference again, like I did with PT. So I stepped down um, to do a master's in sports medicine at Nottingham so really to take take a step away from corporate and kind of specialize um, and kind of take a step into the medical industry. And that's what I did, really. So I, ste- I, I stepped down from management, 
um, started my master's part-time um, and just went back to being a PT part-time as well to try and try and afford my keep holding my mortgage while I was trying to obviously do my master's at the same time so yeah and in that in that pathway um, where do you where did you meet uh, Nina which sort of at what point was that wow so that's now that would be 10 years ago pretty much now nearly at the end of this year so um it was it was while I was at David Lloyd it was after it was after it's just after I finished my yes it would be just after I finished my master's um it was the Christmas after of the year I finished my master's um so I was I was at the point where I'd finished my master's and I just I'd been in a position where I was starting to um build up my own business uh, alongside working part-time at David Lloyd because I wanted to have my own business and and be able to do things the way I wanted and use the the information and knowledge I'd learned and combine that with what I already knew from a fitness perspective and kind of help people in a in a really individualized way which under a corporate banner is quite difficult you know they have their set ways of working um and I, I kind of met her there she came to see me actually she um as a client because she had sciatica from teaching um, pole fitness. And, uh, and so somebody had recommended that she come and see me. Um, and it kind of started from there, to be honest. Um, so yeah, nearly 10 years ago now. And obviously, you're, um, you're working in, in a normal gym and, and you're um, building your knowledge base. And, and it's, it's great that obviously you don't just accept uh, one answer and one uh, level of qualification you've obviously gone back and done exactly the same subject but through another course or through the master uh, through your master's degree and things like that so recovering the same information but coming from uh, multiple aspects so you got obviously everyone knows the gym the way they know the gym and I think that like the gym that we probably all knew in the early 2000s even 2009 2010 doesn't look like the one that well definitely doesn't look like the one you train in now no so when do you start to make that blend across from a globo gym to a functional fitness um, style of world? And I know that obviously you're the natural competitor. How quickly did, what other things that you did, you do competitively after hockey and obviously what starts you becoming competitive in, in functional fitness? Okay. So it was, it was interesting because when I was, um, when I was in management at David Lloyd, I found that, actually training for myself which was my passion my obsession I love just training for me to change my body shape work on posture core strength everything I just loved it but when when I was in management it was quite difficult at times to train in the gym where you worked because you could never escape work and it, there were times when it actually quite affected my motivation and so I would start to say go to other places to train um, and I remember when when Nina had been she'd been quite poorly a year after we'd been together um, and off the back of recovering, thankfully, she then wanted to do a, something that she'd always wanted to do, which was a, a bodybuilding bikini show because her skin was better. She wanted to put herself through the kind of discipline and kind of what, you know, see what she could do with her body shape and, and put herself in a little com competitive arena and just and just take herself through that process. And off the back of that, it meant that the way that she trained was quite different for a period of time. And so helping and supporting her we'd actually spend a bit of time going to quite what i would call spit and sawdust gyms around nottingham like the ones that people would say oh you don't want to go there they're the ones we'd go to you know they'd be like rubbish all over the floor it'd be super old kit everything a bit rusty i mean i loved it 
it was the complete opposite of David Lloyd where everything was nice and gleaming and tidy. And it was, but it was great because you didn't get people poncing around either. You know, it wasn't about mirrors and stuff like that. It was about work, just, just work, put your work in, do what you need to do and leave. And there was a real novelty to that. So we went and we tried lots of different gyms and I was really getting into my running at the time. And I was doing a lot of um, like men's survival of the fittest and 10 Ks and adventure runs and things like that. And really enjoying the trail races and, and um, being competitive that way. So that was ticking a few boxes for me. And then one of my clients actually said, oh, have you heard of CrossFit? And uh, I was like, I was like, no, what's that? And she, she's pretty clued up. So she, she saw you should, I think you should check it out. It's just up the road. I think you'd really like it. Um, you should give it a go. It's quite functional and this, that, and the other. And I was like, oh yeah, I mean, why not? You know, let's another, another one on the, on the gym tour. Great. I'll go check it out. And so me and Nina went, went down to this little box and um, I remember walking in with Nina and somebody came over straight away and just, oh, hi. And they introduced themselves, shook my hand. And I was like, blimey, that's friendly. That's amazing. And then the guy who was the owner actually walked across from the other side of the room and he, was, he had his shirt off and he was, he was ripped and he was muscles everywhere and he was sweaty, he was chalk all over the place. And um, he was ex-Marine and he looked ex-Marine and he like, su looked super strong and you wouldn't want to mess with him. And he came over and he went, oh, hi. And he introduced himself. And I was like, this place is cool. This is such a good vibe. You know, the music was on loud. And um, Nina actually turned to me at the time and just said to me, I've got a, I've got a feeling this is going to affect our lives, you know. And we still laugh about it because at the time... I was like, no, no, no. And I mean, it has taken, it. Would, what can I say? It's taken over our lives. It is my life now. Um, so that was, you know, that kind of community feel, but also functional stuff, weightlifting, just a different, a competitive fitness, just a, a, everything I've been looking for, but I didn't even know I was looking really, to be honest. Um, and so because I'd obviously... Um, was still working at David Lloyd in, in part and still training there, and still running, I decided that I would, because I did a couple of CrossFit classes and I could barely walk. I was like, oh my goodness, this is horrendous. <laughs> How do people do this five times CrossFit. a week? <laughs> I can't do this. <laughs> so I was like, right, be sensible, Kelly. You'll just, just do two classes a week and then just do your core stuff and your functional stuff and your, you know, your typical stuff around it, go through runs, whatever. So for a good year, at least, I just did two CrossFit classes a week and I would kind of adjust the intensity around them and, and, you know, have rest days and whatever else. Um, and then the CrossFit box grew and grew and it actually then moved location to a much bigger space that was, that's probably, I don't know, about eight times the size of what the little box was. And by that time I maybe was doing like three classes a week um, and, and really, really loving it. And, and actually the more time I spent doing CrossFit, the less time I wanted to spend at the Globo gym because the atmosphere and the community was so different it actually, it actually became like two complete polar opposites. And I started to really dislike the feeling that I had when I was at David Lloyd. Um, just because it was, I mean, it's difficult to, to describe that club because it's, I think it's worse than a lot of the other ones in the UK. But it's very, very, very showy, that one. It's very, there's a lot of money around. People like to have a membership just so they can walk around. And the more I saw it from the outside, the more I hated it. Um, so in the end, I left David Lloyd completely and just had a full membership at CrossFit. And I'd go in and do my own training in open gym and then I'd do classes and so on. And um, I remember Andy and a couple of the others, they had, they had something called Team Hood 
uh, at the time, which was essentially the competitive team. So the athletes who would go to competitions and represent the box and they'd been to regionals the year before. Um, not that I knew what anything like that was at the time. And um, one of them just said to me one day, you know, have you ever thought about competing? And I was like, oh, oh, I, I don't know about that. I, I'm not sure about that because I just thought, gosh, the, the way you'd have to commit and how much work you'd have to do to get to where you'd need to be. I just thought, oh, I, I, I don't think so, because I know that to do it well, I'd have to do some serious hours. And I'm already an obsessive personality. You know, I was already uh, applying that kind of OCD obsessional um, element of me to my work and to the business, which was growing really well, to, to seeing a lot of clients. Um, Nina was in the business as well. And, and so, was, so was Katie as well. So, so the, the business was growing. We were super busy. And I was like, I can't do everything. I've just got to keep control of my fitness. And I mean, they probably must have asked me about three or four times. And I just said, oh, no, no, no. And then one day I just thought, oh, I don't know, really. Maybe I should just try it. And so I said, OK, I'll tell you what. Yeah. Yeah, let's try it. Let's let's I'll commit to it now. I'll actually I'll actually adjust my work hours a little bit so I can give it a little bit more time to training. And um, I'll, I'll never forget going to my first CrossFit um, competition. It was a team one in uh, in Witham so a local comp and I was shaking I felt sick oh my goodness me it was just a little day comp and I just I was I was so scared my adrenaline was through the roof I was oh dear me when I think back it's hilarious really but I loved it I loved it and I was absolutely spent I could I was nearly asleep in the car coming home I was so tired after four wads or what workouts or whatever it was but I loved it and we won. And it was an amazing feeling to just be around these amazing athletes and to be part of the team and to have done well. Um, and from there, that was it, really. That that was it. There was no stopping. It was like a train then. Yeah. So you obviously you, you're a natural competitor, but obviously the bug, it, it took a it took a little bit of time to bite. What does that look like? Um, so from going from a local comp, but it's a team thing to you jump into something like uh, the athletes games or you know moving on and, and progressing as an individual where you start to see yourself at larger events um i think i think initially when i was trying to get kind of um trying to get experience and and trying out a few um competitions i think a big a big turning point for me is quite quite early on probably after i'd been to that and done that local comp one maybe a couple of others um, I think I went to the, oh, that's right. The next comp was the British Championships down in London. Um, and it was, it was, it was at the Lee Valley Stadium, I think. It was massive compared to this tiny little Witham comp, the first one. And it was an individual one. Um, I'd qualified. I can't remember where I qualified, but I ended up, it was one of those kind of rookie luck type situations where I ended up finishing 12th, I think, which was, in, which, which was ridiculous. And like the, the absolute best athlete in the box, the other female athlete who was 100% the best athlete, she came like 10th. It was ridiculous that I ended up in the final with her. Like, you know, I even came second in one workout. People couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And, you know, I had, I had I'd come second in that workout to Megan Lovegrove, who obviously a lot of people in CrossFit know now, like Steph Decker was there. You know, these phenomenal athletes were there. And there was little old me rocking up you know, can barely do a handstand push-up. Not a lot's changed, actually, but it was even worse then. But literally, I just, I couldn't believe what had happened, and I was absolutely buzzing. And I remember, I remember 
It was a bit embarrassing to say, but I'm going to say anyway. <laughs> you know, my wife's laughing because she knows what I'm about to say. Um, oh, dear. And we got in the car to come home. And, I mean, I came 12th, right? <laughs> it's no big deal. I came 12th. But I was in the car, and it was two days of competition. I literally could, ba- I could barely get in the car. I mean, I literally was, was dragged to get into the car. I had nothing left. I was exhausted. And I came 12th. And you know what? Me and Nina started talking about it in the car and I started crying my eyes out. I started sobbing, literally sobbing. Nina was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I was like, was it that I said I thought I'd won the lottery? I felt, that's what I said to her. I said, I feel like I've been to the Olympics. That's what I said. I was, I was so, the feeling I had was so incredible that I'd just been there and I came 12th. I honestly felt like it was the highest point in my whole life. It was insane. And that, that for me just showed how much it meant to me just to be there to to be in that position and then not long after that I attempted the qualifiers for at the time what was called the athlete games and I didn't get in I can't remember where I came I didn't qualify but I went down to watch because we had uh, we had a girl there uh, Charlie Smith who was competing who was the best in the box and um, I remember watching um, watching them compete and Sarah Sigmund's daughter who was not well known at the time, she was just about to explode, was at that. In fact, I think she might have won it. Um, but she was in the lane just in, front of, just in front of me. No one knew who she was. And I watched this girl move and perform. And I was like, who is that? This is insane. This person is, abs- I'm idolizing this person. What an incredible performance this person's putting in. I want to be here. I want to be like this person, you know. And, and obviously, I mean, she's done a phenomenal thing since then she is she's by far one of my biggest inspirations but you know my my fellow athlete was two lanes away from her she was also competing at the athlete games and it was just I was like I want to be at this level I want to be here you know I want to work harder and commit more and get better and I think watching that and being in the spectating side I made the decision I didn't want to spectate again I wanted to be on the floor um because I'm not very good at spectating I'm much better at, at, at being there and being, being the one uh, on the floor. So when I went back after that, I think month by month, I just started giving it more time. St- programming, going in in the afternoons when the gym was essentially shut, but being part of Team Hood, we had access. Spending not an hour doing a wad, but actually doing strength work. Doing, um, at the time, it was conjugate training, doing weakness stuff doing wads with with other you know members of the team hood team like putting a lot more effort in in the days and and planning team competitions and things like that and it it just it just built and built and built um to where it is now really (laughs) yeah i obviously i think it what's uh incredible obviously you bought the bug there and you're like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna stand and, and watch anymore um were you following a program were you writing your own program in so back then, Team Hood was actually um, Andy, the, um, the box owner. He would write a program for Team Hood, if I remember rightly. Um, and so we just got to follow this kind of separate programming from the class program. Um, so it did involve a lot of extras, a lot of, a lot of working on weaknesses and things like that. And he was, he was great at programming. Um, proper old school CrossFitter, had been very successful himself. Uh, very knowledgeable and he was putting together some great stuff so I followed Andy's programming for, for a long time 
Um, and then, oh, what did I do after that? I think from there I progressed because at the time, after, after a period of time, I knew that I had a lot of weaknesses that really needed specific addressing. Um, and I looked into individualized programming, which was becoming a thing. And I joined the program. Yeah, you did, yeah. yeah. Actually, I think you did a co coaching, like a camp coaching, didn't you? Did I? I can't, I can't actually can't remember there's been so many but i think i joined the program which was uh, involved a guy called eric who was weightlifting 101 so there was massive elements that was weightlifting which was a big weakness um gymnastics it was it was kind of broken into very specifics um so i did i followed the program for quite a while um so i mean at that point i just wasn't doing any class pro uh, class workouts at all i would I can't tell you how many years it's been since I've actually just gone in and done a class. I probably do that two or three times a year. Other, t other times it's very much training very specifically based on, you know, things that have been programmed for me. Do you, do you use like the, the team stuff? I, I obviously you compete still and you throw your hat in the ring with, uh, with teams every now and then you've done, I think tribal clash more than once. Um, and obviously you, you had teamhood. And you didn't just compete as an individual, you competed on a team. Do you still look to do that? Is it part of conditioning? Do you just, or, or is it just something you'll always do? That's a, that's a great question. So interestingly, things have changed in the last 12 months. So um, I think it was two years ago now that we ended up having a team for regionals. So just before regionals disappeared um, from our open scores, CrossFit Nottingham, managed to squeeze in literally squeeze in number 15 uh or 15th team i think or something like that so we actually managed to get go to berlin and represent crossfit nottingham at the regionals and because i had been the um highest scoring female at the box i obviously was part of that team which i was you know absolutely over the moon about and to compete as a team at that level was was phenomenal oh my goodness like fantastic memories from that um and i enjoy i enjoy team and, you know, I did JST um, last year, yeah, at Strength and Depth, a sponsored team. And again, that was very powerful because we were a sponsored, put together team and I was surrounded by some fantastic athletes. And again, that was a really good experience, was able to uh, learn a lot from Steve Fawcett, who's an absolute legend, obviously, multiple games athlete. And I've learned a lot through that. And I, again, working with different people, you you learn a lot uh, in terms of your ability to work with others and and, and mould. But I think... I think with the tribal clash team, um, I wouldn't actually do another team competition. And I made that decision last year. The only one that I was prepared to do for the final time was tribal clash, which obviously was last May um, and would have been happening now, obviously, if, if the situation wasn't as it is. But I actually told the team last year before we did uh, the third um, repeat if you like at Tribal Clash Portugal I'd already told them that I was not going to get to do it again that would be my last one and it would be my last team comp full stop because although that team that combination of people I mean not only phenomenal athletes in themselves but just the way that I don't know how six people can mold like the way that we do I, I, I can't put it into words to be honest um, to, to have won that competition three times in a row when I look at, I mean, I could cry about it right now. When I look at the photos, it just blows my mind. But I think, I think just the way that, that we fit together, not because we've trained loads together, but we just, I don't know, it's just insane. The concept of group cohesion and the way that something can work 
is in its element with that team. And if I was ever going to compete again in a team, it would be with them. But yeah. the challenge I have really with my goals now is that, um, like, for example, Tribal Clash is pretty brutal physically. Like, it, it, it just, you just feel broken. And there's so much... There's so much scope for injury when you're running on a beach and you're burping on sand and you're throwing yourself in the water and throwing heavy, you know, um, uh, atlas stones around and things like that. And and so I just every time I've done tribal clash, I have felt broken. And so that that's a little bit unhelpful when I'm aiming for an individual goal. So I have I had to be kind of specific and committed now to just the one focus. Uh, so yeah so last May was the last last team comp that I've done and I think probably to be honest will be the last one that I do until I get to a point where I'm doing CrossFit for fun again when I'm not taking when I've not got my ultimate goal in mind then I would 100% you know do team competitions for fun and to be with friends but unfortunately my mentality is not at that point right now so I think that anything to do with the team would just detract away from my own goals now yeah. So just uh, just slightly before uh, that in time, obviously, you guys get married. Right. And uh, and Body Project starts to really sort of build into a into a brand and that's all flourishing. How do you manage all of that sort of like I mean, it's like it's like the stars are all aligned, don't they? Isn't it? You know, your competitive career kicks off. You guys uh, are moving to a different period of your life and obviously your business is flourishing. What is that? How does that work? It was, it was an interesting time um, with the business when we, and um, the fact that we got married and then went straight into building a clinic. I mean, we look back and we, we kind of can't believe what the way it all panned out. To be honest, it was crazy. But um, we just knew that at the, you know at one stage where we had Katie, Nina, and myself working um, out of this little cabin in the back garden, but also we'd converted the utility room into another treatment room. Um, so we had people coming to the front of the house for, for, to see Nina. We had people coming to the back of the house to see me and Katie. Katie couldn't be in there working when I was in there. So we were having to be very specific about our hours. And basically the only thing that was stopping the business from growing was, was the setup. That was it. People wanted to see us. We couldn't see them. We just didn't have the space. We didn't have the, the logistics. And so we made, we made a very specific decision to take a massive leap of faith and, we had looked into trying to buy a, a premise uh, for the business, a premises, but in reality, in the area that we live, our penny purse was so small compared to the other people around here. Like we tried to bid for a particular property around the corner, tiny little thing. And we ended up in a bidding war with Carl Froch and the guy who used to own moneysupermarket.com. I mean, the, the estate agent just said to me, look, not being funny you're not going to get it. Like they will keep putting money in until they get it. If they want it, they'll get it. You, you do not have the ability to buy it. And I was like, right, fair enough. So in the end, we, we decided to take the leap of faith and build at home, had an amazing architect, but it did mean that we were going to essentially take all the money that we had saved, all of it. And I, being a workaholic, I had scribbled pennies away for a very long time. Um, we were going to take all of that money and put it into the ground. And it was pretty scary um, our wedding was very low, low key. We, we did, did everything ourselves. It was very low cost, nothing fancy. So that was good. But as soon as we came back from our honeymoon, which was a week in Derbyshire over Christmas with the dogs, we went straight into moving our business to a new location. And then 
we had six months of basically working. I like I was getting up at half four in the morning to get over to the new location to set up to see clients, go and train in the middle of the day, go straight back to the clinic in this other location, keep keep seeing clients, get home about ten o'clock at night, and repeat and repeat and repeat for for six months, and um, it was exhausting. I mean, definitely my training suffered, um, and it was. It, it was just, I look back, I can't really believe I managed to survive, to be honest. I mean, my body did suffer and, and Nina held us together and we, we managed to get through it. But it, if we hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have been able to take the, the opportunity that we have now where I can actually work slightly less because we have now a team of six, not three. And we have a, a very spacious space and we've got everything that we could possibly need. It is a dream come true. Um, but it was a very, very scary time, to be honest. But, you know, I couldn't I couldn't have done it without Nina. Like, really, it's 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 down to the the teamwork and the, the commitment and the support of my wife that's allowed all of it to happen. And for me to still be standing, tell you the truth. Yeah, I mean, it just, it, you know, it proves, you know, hard work. You know, it will it will pay off in the end. And that doesn't just mean like in the gym, like obviously, like you said, you're working hard, you're saving money and and. Um, you know, people talk about luck and I, I genuinely don't believe in it. You know, I'll always say to you, all, all that'll ever happen is your hard work will shine. But mm. uh, you went and decided to put that uh, money in the ground and, and it was you guys that built that, you know, put that building up. It's the shape that it is because you decided, etc. You put, you decided what went in there. So, I mean, yeah, absolutely incredible that you were doing that all at the same time as you're launching into this um, competitive career. So obviously that's all uh happening and and you can see that you start to land on podiums and start making you're not making money but you you know you're you're hitting podiums southern fit yeah uh, heading off to italy 2018 uh qualifying uh in the age group categories to to for the online qualifiers and you know and starting to with the sport you know starting to really make an impact as an individual sort of leaping slightly slightly forward do you, at what point do you see the, the sport of functional fitness coming across? Obviously, you, you've come in through CrossFit. I think that's, you know, blatantly obvious for everyone at these early stages that that's the catalyst for the sport that's building. When do you start actually hearing that it's a sport? Did it, was it when it came to the UK or had you heard a bit before that? Um, it was quite interesting because I was lucky enough to hear about it because at the time I was having um, my individualized programming was, was from JST, mm-hmm. um, which is obviously headed up by Stephen Fawcett. And he um, was very much involved with the creation of FRF UK. Um, and he was also in charge of uh, the WADs. And he was, he was very much in the background as a very supportive figure with his knowledge and understanding to support FRF UK in its, in its, um, in its initial creation and, and development. And so I had the opportunity to learn a lot about it, but also to get involved with it because of being in JST. I actually allowed, as athletes, we got, we got automatically um, entered into the FRF UK um, competition, which I was like, well, yeah, great. You know? and, and because I was entered, I thought, well, you know, why not? And let's learn more about it. And I liked, I liked the concept of as I as I learnt more and more about it, I liked the concept of what it stood for. Um, I specifically liked, especially given the the changes that happened in CrossFit around that kind of time, 
Um, I specifically liked the way that it talked about and, and, and its idea behind the consistency for athletes um, of it being govern, uh, having a governing body so that there was, there was predictability and there was standardization and that you, people, someone couldn't just do this at the top and suddenly it's all gone and everything you've been planned, you know, been planning and, and trained for can, can go to part. So, and also the drug testing, I, I, I just loved everything about the, 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 the angle that it was taking, to be honest. Um, yeah. I've, and I was, I was just fully on board really early on and glad to be part of it, to be honest. Yeah. I think um, not that, it probably doesn't go on, but I think like with Gretchen, the president and um, with Greg Glassman, it, it, you would almost think that they talked because the way the stars aligned, he, you know, he deliberately told the games to draw back. He he said to Dave Castro to, to do make all these changes so that, you know, they, the year before they didn't uh, had, you know, the flag of nations. And then last year they had national champions and, you know, it, it does seem like, the stars were aligning for that um, that to happen, and obviously for the sport to continue. It seemed like he he deliberately wanted his company to do something different. Um, it's an interest. It was interesting timing. There's no Definitely. way obviously they're talking, but but <laughs> it, 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 it does seem to be playing into her uh, into her hands quite nicely. Definitely. So um, obviously you are obviously push forward into it um, because of your, your connections and things like that. Um, again, I'm going to take another leap forward. Obviously, you're, you're the British champion, um, the, the reigning British champion, as it, as it is right now. <laughs> but, um, and that gives you the opportunity to go to Australia. Um, what are your thoughts on the fact that um, they decide that they do their worlds in multiple different locations for different categories? So obviously, I think now that the, the intention this year is to have um, teens and um, the elite sort of category together, but then Masters still to remain on its own as it did last year. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, I kind of, I kind of get it. Like I get it. Um, I, I get it, like, especially with CrossFit as well. You know, in reality, the master's groups are not are not the ones that people have their eyes on. You know, they, they aren't the, the main event as such. But I think what was nice in Australia is actually it was just purely celebrated. Interestingly, there was a category 30 to 35, which I thought was quite, quite interesting in, in Australia. Mm. But so it was the age 30 to obviously 60 plus. And to see to see athletes from around the world at that level at all those different age categories was genuinely mind blowing to see what some of those athletes could do. I found myself thinking, wow, if I, if I can do what you're doing at your age, I will be over the moon. Like it really, it really was insane. And it's a shame that that can't be showcased a little bit more alongside um, the other categories. But I mean, I appreciate, you know, there was a lot of athletes in Australia because obviously there's a lot of athletes per age category per country. So that's just a massive event in itself to cover all those. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, think, sorry, I was just going to, I think they, the model that, that it, it appears to be doing is that it almost gives the hosting country, because obviously trying to do it on a, on a global scale, not just be in one location every year, um, sort of like three swings at it or two swings at it. So it's like, Hey, we're going to send you 
this um, competition, it gives you an opportunity to run it out, do it, et cetera, et cetera. And then because next, obviously next year is Australia. So it's almost like uh, Australia true. has had a swing at it. They've done it, you know, and now they're going to have another go at it. And I guess from like a financial perspective as well is like if you were to have masters or teens and then and then obviously worlds, each of them come through, that gives you three swings at it, you know, and three Definitely. lots of revenue um, or three lots of opportunities to uh, to build revenue and build and build the sport in your location as it moves around. Now, if that's by design, genius. If it's by mistake, wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so obviously... British national champion and you get to go down and compete in the world championships down in Australia. Have you, you been to Australia before? So uh, interestingly, yes, I've got, I've got family in Australia, in New South Wales, my dad's yeah, uh, brother way, and way his back. family. Yeah. And um, what was, I hadn't actually been to Brisbane before though, which is where the world was taking place. We hadn't actually been, we hadn't actually been there. And, but what, what was great is because it was close enough my Australian family were able to, were able to come across and watch, so they travelled to Brisbane to 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 watch to watch me, which was just phenomenal. Um, but it was interesting because when we got there, because we were essentially going across the world for this competition, it was very important to me to to do every single thing in my power to give myself the best chance. Like I was going there to win. I wanted to win. I wasn't going there for a holiday. This was about this was about this this event. And so I remember one of the one of the girls, one of the fellow UK athletes, absolutely wonderful, lovely lady. She she'd not been to Australia before and she was loving it and she was messaging me, Do you want to go to the beach? Do you want to do this? This was in the week before. And I was like, No, no, I don't. I'm I'm not going to the beach. Like I don't want to do anything touristy. I'm gonna to go and train. I'm gonna rest. I'm gonna go and get good food. I'm gonna go get some massage. I'm gonna, you know, I was very I was very routined and boring. I was not interested in being a tourist until after the competition was over. So in all honesty, we didn't actually see a lot of Brisbane. We saw, we saw a little bit of it the day after the competition, um, unfortunately. But Nina was great about it. And it was just nice to see, to see my family as well, actually, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think that's smart, like, uh, in the way you've set yourself up. But obviously, I know you have aspirations, and, and we'll talk about them in a second. But it's, you know... When you're going into something like that, to have a routine, to have a camp, you know, you have gone halfway around the world, you're in a different time zone, etc. So, like, how close were you to a gym? Like, did, did, did you pre-arrange an, a space to be able to, to train in and things like that? So, yeah. So what I did was um, we chose <laughs> – it's a funny story to do with the location, actually. So we chose um, <laughs> we chose a location. We chose a um, – uh, what's the app called? Airbnb. Airbnb. We chose an Airbnb close to the location of the event because what I didn't want to do is have like a big commute in the mornings. I didn't want to be stressed about how long it was going to get, get, take to get there. And we also didn't know about timing. So if it was going to be like a really early start that you sometimes get in competitions, like you've got to be there at 6.30 in the morning or something like that. I didn't want to have to get up at 4 a.m. and things like that when the time zone and stuff, you know, the getting over the jet lag. I, I was trying to give myself the best situation. So in order to do that, we chose an Airbnb that was, was literally 15 minutes drive away from the, uh, the arena, um, Logan City um, Sports Arena, where we, were, where we were competing. When I looked on Airbnb, there was a very limited choice of places to stay. Um, but I did find one. And... 
at the time I thought, wow, that's really cheap. Like that's ridiculously cheap, but that's great. We'll go with that. And it looked lovely. Little, little, uh, apartment type, um, flat thing, maisonette thing. Anyway, turns out when we got there that it was essentially a trailer park in a really rough area, which we didn't realize. Um, and, uh, I mean, the woman who, who, who was in a separate little house thing next to us, um, who had, there was a caravan and a, a couple of caravans on the site and there was a trailer and all these people, there's kids running around and chickens and dogs. And it, it was, it was hilarious to be honest. And it was, the accommodation was just fine. Um, but I didn't make the best call on the accommodation that could have gone wrong, but actually it was really comfy. It had aircon, everything was working. It was perfect location. She was very friendly. Um, and then we, we were very close to a supermarket, um, kind of shopping center. So we could get loads of healthy food there. We could get meals. We could get anything, supplies that we needed, you know, a cool box to put all my snack and food and stuff. We, we used the week before to find the right and, and try the best, the best places for food for the competition days. So I wanted to make sure that I knew the food didn't upset my tummy, you know, how it made me feel after, um, see what time, say the fresh wraps were made, all that kind of stuff, just really organize everything. And we, we made sure that we did that um, so that we came, you know, coming to like the first day, we, we had everything we needed. We were so organized and ready. I had enough food to feed the whole UK team, to be honest. Um, but we trialed it all out. So yeah, there was, it was taking care of all the 1%. And then gym wise, I'd contacted, there was about three CrossFit gyms that I'd managed to get hold of in the vicinity. Um, and they'd all, and then the FRF UK helped us by kind of getting in contact and getting some information as well. And I actually, I think it was one that was about 30 minutes drive away that I chose because I could actually pay for a week and get given like a, a key that would give me access basically at any time. So I was like, right, that's, that's perfect. And you could go in and use it when the classes weren't on. So I, I thought, well, I'd, I'll, I like that because my training can take two or three hours. So I need a decent chunk of time. Um, what I didn't appreciate though, going in and training midday is that these gyms don't have aircon. and Oh my goodness. It was hot in Brisbane, Australia. So training was a shocker. Like I lost so much water. It was, a, it was a battle to actually, I, I, I found myself losing quite a lot of weight water weight probably not not intentionally but i just could not consume the fluids to match what i was losing it was yeah whew, it was hot yeah serious acclimatization whew. so competition rolls around and and obviously you've done a good job of setting yourself up at success um i'll, I'll kind of jump to the end and then let you talk about it a little bit so obviously you're you're still the reigning world champion all right so like <laughs> that, i think everyone needs to know that for a start so congratulations <laughs> on that Thank you. Uh, and you never know, you might get to hold on to it for a little while longer. <laughs> by, by default, no one else can compete. Yeah, yeah it's mine. Um, but that said, obviously, you went into the competition and uh, you're reasonably dominant from the beginning, right? You, you, you've gone out there and you, and you put your stamp on it. What was your favorite event? Um, I think... I think for me, the, I think the first day was a pretty special day, actually, of the three. Um, mainly because, I mean, that first event was, was my kind of event anyway. It was, it was high reps of, I think there was alternate dumbbell uh, snatches, there was wall balls, there was toes to bar. 
and then there was walking lunge and then there was devil's press and it was basically something like 50 40 30 20 10 rep rep range and i'd been i'd been in the warm-up area and because there was obviously all these different age groups you when before to start with i didn't know who who was in my category you know you kind of everyone's in the warm-up area and everyone looks freaking massive and muscly and i'm like oh my goodness i look like it i look like i should just be going for a for a half marathon or something i look super super slim like i've never lifted a weight in my life um and i felt very out of place and intimidated and i was looking at the numbers on people's arms because we'd had our numbers put on and i was trying to see what numbers were close to mine and uh we all lined up for our heat and i was next to super friendly a couple of australians um and when we started, we ran out and picked up the dumbbell. I could I could feel in my periphery the speed of this Australian girl on my left. And I was like, wow, she is flying. <laughs> and so obviously the competitive instinct is, well, you're not going to beat me, love. I'm, I'm going to beat you. I'm going to go faster than you. And I've got a video of it. And I, when I still look at it, it makes me laugh because the speed we were doing those snatches was just obscene. But it was great because it really just, that was it. We were off. And I just... I mean, I've, I've spoken about this before to, to, to Nina and to, to friends and some people get it and some people don't. But when I was doing that first workout in Australia, I went into the zone and I've only experienced that zone a few times in my life, a handful. I could, I could count them on one hand, but in Australia, it happened to me twice. Um, it happened to me twice. And the, the first one was in that first workout. So I was going hell for leather on the dumbbell snatches, wall balls unbroken, toes to bar, broke it once, dropped down, picked up the dumbbell on the lunges, and I was off. I could feel the speed at which I was lunging. I could hear the commentator genuinely in shock, and I felt nothing. I felt no pain. I felt no struggle. I felt nothing, and I was like, this is, this is incredible. And I got to the devil's press and I could feel that no one had even started the lunges yet. I could feel how far ahead I was and I couldn't believe it. So to win the first event quite, quite powerfully in front of my Australian family and to feel the way I felt was just the best start, you know, and to, to have felt intimidated and then to have taken it to the other athletes and gone, hey, guess what? You best be watching me was was a wonderful feeling. Um, and then, as I say, it happened again in another event, the first one of the second day, um, which was a sprint with the assault bike and some some light thrusters. And I slid across the finish because my legs had completely gone. But it was just a great event. It was it just it just flew perfectly. And again, I was in the flow and it was great, a great feeling. Um, yeah, that, those two were probably my favorite events because I kind of just found the flow. Yeah. I mean, there's some good images and some good footage of you, obviously your legs given way but obviously they dive across the line and then like a, <laughs> yeah. like there's two i think there's two or three of you lying on the floor kind of like that's ba- it. barely congratulating yourself each other <laughs> um, that's it obviously you, you've gone out and you've and you've put a decent uh, points leader but obviously the last event for me um that was incredible just to see sort of the finishing touches put on it how was that like coming up through those trees oh you know passing oh men and women and everybody coming up that hill it must have been quite lonely (laughs) it was it was a very that event was very painful yeah very painful because in reality um the way that it was set up with i think it was like a 1500 meter ski or something like that and then it was it was uh the run to the bottom of the stairs of death run up the stairs of death well walk them and then run back and when i'd spoken to my coach he'd said 
you know, I said, oh, is, is it, is it, you know, the final bit? Is it after the stairs that you push? And he was like, no, it's one or lost on the skierg. He said, there's not enough time. He said, you have to come off that skierg first. He said, just, just go push for it, go for it. And I, and to be fair, there were some girls there who were clearly very good runners. I could just tell that that was their thing. Um, and I was like, right, well, I'm just going to have to go for it then. And oh my goodness, I, I went for it so severe. And the problem was everyone was screaming and you could, you could hear, you know, the skiers were very close to each other and you were thinking, goodness, who's going to get off this first? And I had in my head, it's got to be me. It's got to be me. I've got to take the lead on this. I got off the ski og, ski og first, but my goodness, I turned around to start to run and I was like, I am in big trouble here. I had just gone so far into the red, but I was like, well, just going to have to let you let yourself fall forwards down the, down the, down the decline then. So I started falling forwards as I, as I tried to get my breath back, got to the stairs of death and I was literally pulling myself up by the banister. My legs, I, I mean, I don't know if people did run up, but I certainly didn't. I was literally crawling up holding holding the banister pulling myself just trying to get my breath back if that was possible um and then I got kind of three quarters of the way up and I thought I'm okay I'm okay I'm in the lead and then I could hear a photographer who had not long passed saying oh keep going keep going and I turned around I could see two of the girls behind me and I thought oh no (laughs) I've got I've got to keep this um and I knew that I knew that there was another heat and I knew that in order to win realistically I just had to come for I had to be fourth you know if I was if I was any worse than fourth then depending on where the person who came second came it could be a little bit tight so I just thought well if I win this first heat then surely surely it's enough and that's what I told myself I was like I've just got to win this I've got to win this heat I've got to have it um and so that last in that heat as well that last run back was just so painful so so I could not wait for the end and I remember getting across the line and we'd already planned it but Nina had a bottle of water and a flannel she'd poured poured cold water on the flannel put it straight on the back of my neck covered me in water I was on my hands and knees it it was oh I've never known pain like that to be honest because obviously it was the third day of of you know two heavy days before but also that temperature is a is a humidity I am not used to and it absolutely drained me it just 40 40 plus degrees midday it was just brutal yeah uh, i mean it was just that obviously it's an incredible image of you obviously you win in the heat there that's obviously that the moment that sort of clinched it it's not the moment that's clinched it obviously all your efforts in the earlier workouts have but it works done and obviously you then get um to stand up on the podium as the british champion and then the world champion What's the sensation stood there with your family? Obviously, Nina's got to come down to Australia with you. A combination of probably a very peculiar season in the sport anyway, all all around the bazaars. And then to obviously to get such an incredible end to your season. What does that feel like? Uh, To be honest, it was it was amazing because I'd not long started working with Red Pill and it wasn't, it wasn't really, it wasn't, it was my decision to go to the world. It was my, I said, I wanted to take this opportunity. I'm prepared to compromise on the open this year to go for the worlds. You know, it's an opportunity that I just think I can't say no to. I want to support this, this move of, of the kind of functional fitness element to it. And we put, you know, it was a, it was a big time investment. It was a big financial investment. It put us under a lot of stress to do that, to fly to the other side of the world. But I just, 
when I when we knew that that was it and I had the flag and the national anthem came on and I got to stand there and cry it made it all so so worth it I knew it had been the right decision for me as an athlete for for us as a couple for my family it it 100% was worth compromising the open for it was it was the thing I was meant to do last year yeah um and it was just amazing yeah it was it was just amazing it meant it meant a million times more as awful as this sounds to have that flag around me and represent the UK in that than it did to wear the hockey one very different yeah it, it must be so you know such an individual um sort of finish from such a like a huge collective effort um so much sacrifice to put you there but like what i love is the fact obviously completely rocking and rolling off the back of that open comes around faster than anybody wants it to but it arrives and again (laughs) obviously you you've obviously knocked the open out the park and you've selected a few qualifiers that that you want to do um and you've gone straight running into this season um with with sanctionals and some really really strong placements straight off at the start of the season um what made you pick those ones um how do you how do you feel the season like was what was it that met, had you carry that straight into the open? Did what sort of rest period did you do? How did you carry that into the open? And what made you pick the sanctionals that you've picked this year? So, what was interesting is, I mean, I actually didn't want to do the open alongside Australia because it was it was so difficult um, doing a workout this, the day after I arrived in Australia with horrendous jet lag, and then to do one um, the day the Monday, the day after my three day world championships, it was, it was just awful. I can't even tell you how my body felt. I was in a lot of pain. I was, I was unbelievably fatigued, but me and my coach had talked about it. And he said, look, I really need you to try and qualify. You know, you've got an opportunity to qualify for some really good sanctionals all in one go, save yourself faffing around with qualifiers, get some decent scores in the open. And it was just going to allow you to choose these options. Um, So it was about being efficient, really. Um, Because qualifiers mess up your training plan. You know, it'd be nice not to have to do too many. Um, And Red Pill knew that they were going to have coaches at uh, strength and depth. And they knew that one of them was going to go to Norway. So because with Phil being my coach, he hadn't actually, I hadn't actually seen or met him in person. We had, we had um, started our um, kind of uh, coaching, coaching training relationship not long before the British um, champs, but I hadn't actually met him yet in person, only via video calls and so on. So it was going to give me, Sid was going to give me an opportunity to actually, um, to have him actually see me in competition, to see me perform, to see, to learn a lot about me as an athlete um, so that we could obviously then progress with that and take that forward. So what was great about strength and depth is obviously with it being London, my mum could come as well. Uh, Nina's parents came down to watch and travel wise it was a little bit easier obviously than the other side of the world yeah um and they had the whole coaching staff there so i actually had my own coach it wasn't phil it was actually cyril who's an amazing guy as well he actually was my coach for the whole weekend so i was his athlete he was he told me when to eat when to sleep what to do for warm-up he took me through it do this do that be here at this time do it was phenomenal it was an it was an experience that I guess is the closest thing to a professional athlete I've experienced. And it is amazing. And that, that made a massive difference to my SID performance because I just, it took me up another level. 
and I was able to perform then I felt at, at, at my ultimate or my optimum and obviously that paid off um and then in Norway Phil um Phil came with us so there was three three of us three female athletes and um Phil all three of us were his athletes anyway which was great um and again it was an opportunity for him to see us perform and to work with us as as athletes at competition so it was very strategic based on being able to maximize the coach athlete relationship really yeah it's clever i like that i mean you've ramped up for competition anyway in australia i'm sure it was painful i can can only imagine doing the open and uh, obviously committing to worlds at the same time but obviously you're in a peak uh, why not try and use that fitness but and and it you know it's a good shout by you guys uh, as a team making that decision because it's paid off for you obviously as uh, Sid's happening, you're doing a rebrand of uh, of the Body Project and 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 changing things up a little bit, making uh, sort of a refresh. What was the thought process there? Was that just an expansion of staff, or was it just a, uh, you know something that you wanted to do about that time? So we had um, last year. We had a couple of um, people kind of uh, join the team, so. Uh, Liz and Mel joined the team and probably for the first time ever we found ourselves feeling like the body project had a team like not just individuals working under the brand but actually we we had a team of six people who really gelled off each other who were in support of each it just felt I don't know it just felt different like it turned a corner and we realized that we hadn't done anything with the branding or changed the photos or the kind of things that that we just in theory didn't need to do everyone was very busy but actually it just felt like it it was a good time to do it um and really celebrate the fact that we'd found this team that we were so happy with and um so yeah we just decided to to take hold of it all and obviously again having a team and more people being able to work in the clinic means an opportunity where I can be in the clinic less potentially as well so um it's all part of the process of hopefully allowing me to train a little bit more work a little bit less but still obviously have the financial support um to be able to afford to do that really yeah. so i mean at, at this point obviously the brakes have been pumped pretty hard on, on the season um i know that you guys are doing have you know done a really quick um sort of pivot and and you're using social media massively to support people i know that you're pretty much every day still on with your clients uh video um, conferencing and you're, you're pushing out loads of uh, content um, I'll put a link in the bio for everybody to the uh, the body project because there's some in, obviously it's all free um, <laughs> huge <laughs> amount of content on there there's also um, group and individual uh, options if you if you want to dive in there with um, with anyone from the body project what have, what have you guys been doing uh, in that time would you say personally um, I know obviously you have a, a, a goal uh, and, and we can sort of touch on that. But how does that goal look when you're sort of in a marking time era? So, I mean, ironically, ironically, this, this time has probably been a good, seems weird to say this really, but of all the times for this situation to happen, this great pause, it probably fits quite nicely with where I've needed to be because off the back of um, Sid and then, and then Norway, we knew that there was going to be a point where I'd need essentially a, a break or a rest and the three week kind of rebuild 
um, in the season. And I was quite reluctant to take it. And we talked about me possibly taking it uh, at the end of May, start of June, after the Lowlands, um, which obviously isn't going to happen now, but I had, I had qualified for that. So there was potential of, of competing at the Lowlands. Um, but actually, when I was doing the Lowland qualifiers, I felt an, the irritation in my lower back, which I had had a tweak uh, late last year, flare up a little bit. And then um, when we went first went into lockdown and I was trying to do barbell work where I couldn't drop the bar, so I was controlling it back down with quite heavy weights, that didn't do it any good either. Um, and so me and my coach decided that it would be a really good time to take that break, to take the break, to take a rebuild and use this time to actually give my body a little bit of a rest because it, it clearly was asking for it. Um, and so that's exactly what I've done for the last three to four weeks. Uh, and it's needed it, to be honest. I'm, I'm glad that this has happened. So I have been training a little bit less, uh, still training every day, two to four hours, but not necessarily the intensity, doing a lot of kind of rehabby type stuff, going back to basics, fundamentals. Um, and the last two days, actually, the first two days, I've kind of got back into the normal kind of style, intensity and load training uh, groove. But it feels good to have had that. And I think I would have probably found it harder to rest had it not been forced upon me by pain, but also by the situation. Um, so ironically, it's probably suiting me, suit, suiting me a little bit more than it would do for most people. And obviously with our clinic, we have a lot of kit that I have for clients anyway. So we're very fortunate because we're probably a lot better, a lot better off kit wise in terms of being able to train with stuff than some people. Um, so yeah, we're, we're pretty, pretty, pretty lucky really in that situation. So sort of um don't want to give the the whole game the game away but like uh short term uh, you know next couple of years here um how does that look for you obviously you you've used this period in in the right way you know you've, you've looked at it as an, uh, a positive option and as a rebuild for you i mean that makes me instantly think that you're targeting 2021 um it, it what's the plan for the next couple of years then so in reality, the, the, the plan going forwards is me and Nina made a decision six months ago that I had two years, two years to give it everything I've got. Um, the, the focus was and whether it still will be now with the way the world is, I don't know. But in theory, the, the focus this year was the open. It was all about the open this year and next year. The, obviously, if if the open went ahead and if I was good enough to be in the top 200, then the aim would obviously be the age group qualifiers next year to get to the games next year or perhaps repeat that. If I don't make it to then it would be the following year. But basically two years of going for the games, I want to get to the games. Um, and as I turn 39, as the way it works out, I think that now puts me into the 40 plus category uh, as of this coming attempt, which is kind of, Really, probably the best chance I'm going to have is when I'm mean, obviously the, the lower age in my next age yeah. group. So I think if I, if, I, if I can't do it in the next two years, then I'm just probably not good enough and I just won't make it. So that's my goal. Much <laughs> of that. Not often uh, something you'd expect uh, someone to uh, be so humble at, to say. Um, <laughs> so if you were like going to give someone or potentially even yourself um, you know, zip back in time and, and look at uh, Kelly and give her a piece of advice before she comes off the, the hockey world and enters into functional fitness and CrossFit. 
or you know somebody that's at that point in their life what like what bit of advice would you give that person i would say that find find what you really really enjoy doing what really lights your fire and then just don't stop just don't stop with it do whatever it takes to make that the thing that you get to do more of um it's all about it's all about putting in the work and i i i think the key thing there is i mean my dad my dad's always been a grafter and given me that that kind of way of living and way of working and i've idolized him over that and i think that i think it's all about just putting the work in whether it be business health fitness competitive fitness i think you just whoever's going to do well is the one who works the hardest in the room always be the hardest worker in the room that's what i say if you work hard you can have anything you've just got to put the work in and if someone beats you it's because they've worked harder so i just uh, that would be that would be what i would say to myself back then is to just keep going and keep working hard because it will pay off um and to someone who wasn't me exactly the same and just just if you want it enough then just push for it because you'll get it yeah well, that's that's what it takes Roger that um is there a particular uh, podcast or is there a particular book that you uh, you'd follow or you recommend to anybody out there right now something that you reach for or something that's in the headphones at the moment when you're making your way to the gym i actually recent uh, actually yes there's one that i thought going back quite a while which still sticks with me um david goggins <laughs> can't hurt me i love that I, I listened to that on audio and I remember actually training. Well, I don't train with podcasts very often, but I was actually able to train with, with him in my ears. Um, and the one I listened to, he was actually interviewed at the end of each chapter. So you got a real insight into him. And I just love his journey. I love hearing about what he put himself through physically, what he coped with, um, the mental toughness element of it. So that was quite a powerful book. I think that's really powerful in terms of showing what the physical body is actually capable of if you can get the mind to, you know, if you don't let the mind be a barrier to it, you can take your body to incredible places. Um, and then the most recent one, oh, now what was it? Yeah, I think, was it the champions? There was one about, oh, just going to double check what it was because it was, because I would fully recommend actually. Um, and again, that was to do with mindset. Um, oh, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? Matt Fitzgerald. That was it. That's the most recent one. And actually that was very interesting because there was a lot of, a lot of science in it talking about specific to do with cyclists and runners and elements. And even though my kind of in-depth, say, Tour de France cycling knowledge is very limited, the, the messages that came out of it in terms of, in terms of really understanding that it's the mind that limits the body. I try and apply that a lot when I'm training, especially if I'm training on my own. And it's like when I did my running intervals this morning, when it really, really, really starts to hurt, I'll say to myself, this is why you do it. How much do you want it? This is why you do it. And it's at those times where you can either come down a gear or go up a gear. And it's the people who can, if you can put yourself in that pain cave and go, no, I want this. I want more of this. Then you will make those gains and those edges. And, and I think that, that that part of the the mental game I find fascinating now because I'm working with it a lot. So I think that's a great book. Well, um, I'll stick them in the notes for anyone that wants to uh, look them up. Um, thank you so much for obviously taking a, a huge chunk out of uh, your day to sit down with me. Um, I know obviously we cantered through that 
and we could have uh, we could have done it in a in a series. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much. Thank you, and I appreciate you taking the time to listen. All our podcasts sit on the Nine Foot Night Killer Collective, Soul Feed, Forge Not Made, and the JTAP podcast. Take some time, maybe listen to one of the other podcast series that you're not listening to, and give us your feedback. All these things only happen because of the Nine Foot Night Killer community, and we really appreciate them. Thank you, everybody, for listening.